I'm preaching in Romans chapter 5. Many of you have been here, uh, and hopefully you will be here through uh, what one of our students calls Roman through Romans. And if I were that creative, I'd title it that, so I'm going to steal it, and I'll give him credit later. But I'm in Romans chapter 5. Last week, I uh, just hinted at verse 6 because we were uh, looking at uh, what I call the state of the church, looking at some of those numbers that we measure and asking you to pray about, uh, the possibility of should we do something else beyond our current campus, and uh, just ask you to continue to pray about that for wisdom and direction from the Lord. But I do want us to spend time uh, in Romans chapter 5. Uh, if you're new to Scripture, uh, Romans is what some people have called the fifth gospel of the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who we thank for the majority of the New Testament. Scriptures divided old and new. Paul uh, was a very faithful Jew who was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to bring judgment on them. And he met Jesus, and his life was transformed, as is everyone who meets Jesus, by the way. And so his life was changed. He became uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's you and me. For, for, for what I know of us, I don't know of any uh, of you here today who are from a Jewish background. So we benefit from Paul's preaching and teaching and church planting because the gospel eventually made it to us wherever we were. So in this letter written to the church at Rome, a church like ours, perhaps, made up of individuals from different walks of life, he wrote this letter in Romans chapter 5. Uh, is a wonderful chapter. And I'm telling you, Romans just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So... You hang in there with me as we roam through Romans. I want you to look at Romans chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 6 this morning. And I want you to notice three things primarily this morning. The first one is Paul uh, explains for us Christ's death for the ungodly. That, that Christ's death for the ungodly. Look with me at Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 6. The Bible says, For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. I said just a few things about verse 6 last week. I remind you we were helpless. Uh, the Bible here in the ESV that I just read from says weak. I like the translation in the New American Standard better. It says helpless because our sickness was such that we could not do anything. We could not help ourselves. We could not heal ourselves. We could not right ourselves. We were absolutely helpless. We were helpless morally. We were helpless spiritually. We could not save ourselves. We could not obey God. We could not move ourselves forward in any manner whatsoever. And to understand why that is, we go to another letter Paul wrote to another church in Corinth because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says something interesting about us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's Paul describing you and me in our natural state. Before we've had any encounter with God, before we've heard about Jesus, before the Holy Spirit has stirred in our hearts and begun to draw us to the Lord, you and I, in our natural state, 
were helpless. But at the kairos moment, according to Scripture, not chronos, kairos, at the God moment, when the world was most ready and prepared for a Savior to come, the Bible says that that is when Christ died for the ungodly. Well, who's the ungodly? Well, that's you and me, friend. In our natural state, that's who we were. The ungodly are the ones who have no regard for God, the person that does not worship the Almighty, the person that has no regard for the Lord in his life. Ungodly. And those people are described in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans. I'll mention it here. I'll mention it again because Scripture makes clear those who are in their natural state, those who are ungodly, those who are not right with God, the Bible describes them as unrighteous, ungodly, as those who suppress the truth, those who choose not to honor or thank God, those who live foolishly. Romans describes unbridled lust, a debased mind, Individuals doing what ought not to be done, and all of this is seen specifically, according to Scripture, in things like murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness and gossip and insolent and haughty and inventors of evil. All of that is in the list that Paul gives us in Romans of what an ungodly person looks like. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not that bad. That's describing somebody very different from me. I don't do things like that. But, friend, I want to remind you, sin is not just what we do. Sin is who we are. And our nature is sinful. And the, and the Bible makes clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that we are are sinners. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And we try to mask that in a lot of different ways. I was at a one-day conference just this week in Birmingham and one of the preachers that spoke said that folks will try to mask their sinfulness. They will try to mask their ungodly standing in a lot of different ways. And some will say, but I go to church. And that just makes you a religious sinner. And some will say, well, I do good things. That just makes you a friendly sinner. And some may even say, well, I give money. That makes you a generous sinner. But the point is we're all sinners and we all sin. And what we need is not to cover our sin. We need our sin to be cleansed. And there's only one way, and that is Christ died for us. Verse 7 clarifies how unusual this is. Seldom would one die for a righteous person. But the Bible says, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. Scholars debate about what Paul means there. Is there some scale of good and righteous? And what I think perhaps could be the case that someone who sees themselves as righteous is somebody who may be closer, but one who just sees themselves as good is somebody who still has no concept of a walk with God. I'm not sure exactly all that Paul meant, but what I do know is that you and I understand the struggle you and I would have to die for someone. I'm not advocating the movie, but I'll tell you about it. It's called Saving Private Ryan. And it tells a fictitious story that is based loosely on some things that really happened when three siblings were killed in a war. 
And so Saving Private Ryan tells the fictitious story of a Captain Miller being told to gather some men to go and find the remaining sibling of a family who's left. And so this Captain Miller gets these soldiers in World War II after just landing in France, in Normandy, and they set out to find Private Ryan. And many of you have seen the movie, and again, I'm not advocating it, but I'm just telling you the story. They began to struggle with what it means to lay your life on the line for someone else. And as one of them dies and another dies, the anger just grows and, and they just they can't imagine how they're being asked to lay their life on the line for someone else. So, spoiler alert, in the end, as Captain Miller lays dying, Ryan is brought to him and he says, earn this, earn it. And at the end of the movie, you see the aged... Private Ryan, collapsing at Miller's grave in Normandy, desperately asking his wife, am I worthy? Have I led a good life? That, that story resonates with us because every single one of us would understand the struggle to lay our life on the line for someone. Now, yes, there are people that put themselves in harm's way every day, and we owe those individuals a great debt of gratitude. But for you and for me to actually contemplate putting our life on the line for a stranger, for someone whose life may not reflect our standards, you and I understand what the struggle would be. Friend, I want to lovingly remind you, thanks be to God. Scripture describes God's love so great for us that our salvation does not depend on those who think and feel as we do. But our salvation is based on the fact that God the Father sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for you and for me to be redeemed to be saved, to be bought, to be purchased with the price of his blood. The Bible describes Christ's death for the ungodly. That's you and me. But secondly, Romans describes God's demonstration of his love for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, key verse. If you write in your Bible, put a star by this. It's a great verse. The Bible says here, but God shows his love. He demonstrates his love. He puts on display for us his love in this way. It says in that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, while you and I were living the lifestyle of a sinner, while we were far from God, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died and he didn't just die, he died for us. The Bible says God's love is demonstrated. There, there are some places you cannot walk through without somebody wanting to demonstrate something for you. Come see how sharp these knives are. 
Come feel how squishy this pillow is. And, and, and I am not in any way demeaning what God did for us, but the Bible says that God does demonstrate. He displays. He's going to show us what his love is like. And this is what he did. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Now, now, for just a minute, just a second, just 30 seconds a minute, depending on how long I get into this, but I need to jump into the deep end of the theological pool for a minute and tell you what's being described here is what theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. Now, we don't sit around the breakfast table talking about penal substitutionary atonement and pass the sugar. But I want you to understand that concept because that is what Scripture is describing here. Penal refers to the penalty I should have paid. That in my natural state, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Surprise, surprise, that includes your pastor. Sorry to blow your mind this morning. But as a sinner in my natural state, I deserve the wrath of God. We'll discuss that in just a minute. I deserve punishment. I deserve the hell that is waiting for everyone who never comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus steps in and takes the penalty. Substitutionary means I didn't die, you didn't die, nobody else died. Christ died for you and for me. That's the substitute. And atonement is that beautiful word that means Jesus paid the price so that there can be this at one meant. You and I can be at one with God. And Jesus' death, his shed blood, satisfies all the judgment that we are due. It is the payment for our sin. And God loves us so much, he did all that for us, and his love is shown right now. What do I mean right now? While we're still sinners. The Bible nowhere says you and I have to clean up. The Bible nowhere says we have to act better. The Bible nowhere says we have to be prettier or friendlier or more deserving because none of that will ever happen. We'll never be clean enough, pretty enough, sweet enough, charming enough to deserve forgiveness from God. But he loves us right now just as we are. That's what I mean right now. And it's real. He died. He did this for you and for me. Secular history records the turmoil caused by this rabbi who died and the claims that from a secular view of coming back to life. The Bible describes this. And for centuries, people have been hearing this same story. If I were your time hop picture today, guess what I was preaching on eight years ago? I was preaching on the atonement. Guess what the pastor who was pastor here 80 years ago was preaching? That Jesus died for you and for me. Guess what they were preaching 800 years ago? That Jesus died for sinners. And if the Lord tarries however long, it's going to be the same old story, the same old story. I know we do this week in and week out, and guess what? I'm preaching the same thing. Have y'all figured that out yet? <laughs> and I'm just telling you that billions have heard the story and had their lives changed. They didn't have to clean up. They didn't have to impress anybody. All they had to do was come by faith. 
because God's love is right now and it is real. Would y'all go back with me in time to 1989? I left the bustling metropolis of Birmingham, Alabama and pulled on to the campus of what was Mobile College. I knew the Lord had called me to ministry. I'd been at UAB. I was studying, and I transferred to Mobile College, and I pulled onto that campus. And if y'all remember, I told you, a 1983 Plymouth Horizon. It's a pretty hot car. Now, I looked a little bit different. I had not yet expanded my ministry, as I like to say. I weighed between 135 and 140 pounds. My glasses probably weighed six pounds because in 1989, everybody seemed to think we needed swim goggles to see. And I typically wore khaki pants that were a little bit too big, a lot of T-shirts and beat-up tennis shoes. I didn't wear Calvin Klein's back then. My son saw my tag this morning. And I was more than awkward. Most of you know the story. My mother died when I was 11. I was awkward. I was constantly cracking jokes to cover my own insecurity. My hair looked even worse than it does now. But I met Ashley. I could take you just the parking lot. Now, y'all quit looking at her because she knows when I mention her, everybody starts looking. Just outside West Dorm. And I, I, I'm just, I've told you before, boy, I was pretty hooked pretty quick. Now, it won't blow your mind. It didn't take long for me to convince her. <laughs> about what a package I was. <laughs> and, and can I tell you something? We, we fell in love at Mobile College. But you know what? She did not fall in love with the rugged, masculine man that stands before you today. <laughs> she did not fall in love with me for the potential of children. She didn't fall in love with me for the promise of a chaotic life in ministry, living in various countries and various places. She didn't fall in love with me with the promise of one day having a great German shepherd, hound of hell. She fell in love with me just for who I was. And can I tell you what? That's real love. But that love story was written long ago. Because the God who made you loves you just as you are. It does not matter who you are or where you're from. It does not matter the sinful state you find yourself. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we are far away from God, the Bible says that Christ died for us. See, see Jesus died for the ungodly. And God demonstrates his love for us and the third thing I want you to see is our deliverance from God's wrath. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more 
shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's some words, there's some concepts we need to grasp in those few verses right there. It says we're saved. It is the basic meaning of rescuing someone from peril, from danger. The, the physical act of rescuing them. But that word sozo also has a spiritual understanding because it's the word used in Matthew when the angel comes to Joseph and says, you're going to name your son Jesus because he will sozo, he will save his people from their sins. Well, what are we saved from? Well, according to God's word, we're saved from God's wrath. Now, God's wrath, we are told in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, is already revealed from heaven. I don't know if you remember that, but Romans 1, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you've been here through this sermon series, then Romans 1, verse 18 through Romans 3, verse 20, Paul is explaining how... The wrath of God is already seen in the way in which people live. We are experiencing some of the wrath of God in the world in which we live because we can observe how His wrath is revealed and how some people are living in such a way that that wrath is on display. I gave you the list a few minutes ago, ungodliness, unrighteousness, the suppression of the truth, that there are those who choose not to honor God, not to thank God. There are those who have been given over to unbridled lust and a debased mind, and people do what they ought not do. And then Paul gave us that list that I mentioned earlier, we see the wrath of God in that we see murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness and gossip and those who are insolent and haughty and those who invent evil. That is the, the wrath of God. And Paul paints this strikingly vile, dreadful, loathsome portrait of the situation we're in. But the glorious reality is that when you get beyond Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we find out there is good news. And the good news is that you and I can be saved and delivered from the wrath of God. But not only are we saved, we are justified. Now, I've given you that easy way to understand it before. Justified, it's justified never sinned. God, the holy God, sent his only son who died on a cross whose blood was shed to appease himself, to appease his wrath. Well, we read that in the verse that said that it's by his blood that it is a propitiation of our sins. The holy God with the holy standard in contrast to our sinful nature. And so now we read again that not only is his shed blood the propitiation of our sins, but it is his blood that brings about our justification. It's a courtroom scene. 
Our culture seems to love courtroom dramas. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and my parents loved Perry Mason. Man, he never lost a case, did he? That's who you'd want. Don't cry. He's still for hire, I'm telling you. We love courtroom drama, and you get it. The case is presented. Here is the accusation. Here is the defense. And then the case rests, and it's into the hands of the jury or the judge, and the verdict must be given. Now, one of our preachers at Encounter this weekend reminded our students of some words that come into play here. Justice means you and I get what we deserve. But thanks be to God, he extends mercy. That means we don't get what we deserve. He extends grace, which means we get what we don't deserve. But the Bible makes plain that you and I, because of the blood of Jesus, we can be justified. Our guilty record is not just marked guilty. All of the guilt is gone. All of the accusation is gone. Our record is wiped clear. It's removed forever. The record of our sin is eliminated. Romans 5 verse 10 then goes into not just saved, not just justified, but we can also be reconciled. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The Bible is making clear here that in our natural state, we were enemies with God. Friend, that's more than just somebody you're angry with. That's more than just somebody whose nerves, who gets on your nerves. An enemy is someone who's on the opposite team, the opposite side. Countries go to war because they're enemies. And what the Bible says is that you and I, because of the shed blood of Jesus, it's not just that we're saved, it's not just that we are justified, but we're also reconciled. It's a great word in Greek. It's a compound word. Katalaso. Kata is a prefix in Greek which always intensifies the word. So there's emotion behind it. And the word alaso means to change. It comes from the money changer. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever been to a money changer, but that's a fun experience in another country. They told me about the place to go in Jordan. I'd go to this guy. He sat... Well, go down this dirty street into this shop, staircase in the back. I felt like I was on a movie. And there he sat behind a desk with a safe behind him. Thankfully, he spoke English. I'd have wound up with who knows what. What do you want? I'd change money. I've got to go to Cyprus for a visa. Here's Cypriot money. I'm going to Egypt. Here's the Egyptian pound. I'm going to the States. Here's the, he'd change it. And so what the Bible describes is you and I come before God, and this is what we have. Sin, unrighteousness, ungodliness, lying, lusting. You you think of everything you and I bring, but the Bible says that because of the shed blood of Jesus, that's changed. And we're made right with God. That's what happens through the blood of Jesus. So don't miss this. We don't bring much, but boy, we get a lot in return. We can be justified, and we can be reconciled. Now, some of you think, well, what's the big deal? I'm going to tell you, it's a big deal. Justified and reconciled. 
Justified is a, is a legal term. Reconciled is a personal term. Justified is a courtroom. Reconciled is the living room. One is perhaps more for the head. Maybe the other will speak to your heart. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 19, and he said to that church, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. See, see reconciliation is something God was doing through Christ. Reconciled is something you and I can be through Christ. And what I want to do for you today is to stand before you in a similar fashion. Paul said we are ambassadors for Christ. I would like to be an ambassador today. And I have a message. And that message is you can be reconciled to God. You may be one of those who wrongly thinks, well... I'm going to get straight, I'm going to get good, I'm going to do right, and then, friend, you don't have to do that. Because it's while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. You may think, well, I'm going to be faithful in church, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to serve. That just makes you a generous and a helpful and a religious sinner. Friend, I'm telling you, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know in your heart today, if you've been justified. You know in your heart today if you've been reconciled. But friend, I'm standing before you today as an ambassador. I was sent here from God. And some of you wondered, why in the world is he here still here eight years later? I'm still telling you, you can be reconciled to God. And I don't know who you are, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done or doing. Christ died for you. And today... You can go home not only with your head settled, but your heart right, knowing you've been reconciled to God. Would y'all bow your heads with me? And when I'm praying and the band is coming, let me just say very simply, this message is for someone today. You may be in this room. You may be watching online. You may hear this podcast a month from now. I have no idea. Friend, I want to tell you, In both the courtroom and the living room, we can be right with God. We can be justified. We can be reconciled. And you know who you are if you need this message. And my encouragement to you is don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be generous enough. You're never going to do anything that will impress God. We're sinners. We cannot save ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God is moving and he's speaking and he's telling you you're the one. And if that's you today, I want to help you meet Jesus. For those of us who hear this message and we are right with God, we're reconciled, we're justified, all is, then there's a story we need to tell to someone. Because there's somebody in our family, in our community, in our school, at work, that we know that needs to know they can be right with God. Father in heaven, 
Would you please take your word and absolutely plant it in the hearts and the minds of everyone that hears this message. That they would clearly understand how they stand before you. Lord, we thank you that by the shed blood of Jesus, we can all be forgiven. We can all be justified. We can all be saved. We can all be reconciled. And for whomever that message is today, Lord, may it absolutely speak to them now. And then, Lord, this church, we need to be praying for those. We wrote names down weeks ago. Our one, the one we're praying for, the one we want to hear the gospel, the one we want to see saved, perhaps while we worship, Lord. Some would come to be saved. Others would come to pray for their one. Whatever that is, Lord, while we worship, you lead. And give us the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.